Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. If I told you that a man dressed as a woman went into a cage, beat another, I beat a real woman into a bloody pulp, and then squeezed the air out of her until she was forced to submit, would you think that the reaction of the crowd was thunderous applause? No, not usually, but in this day and age and where society is today, that happens to be exactly what took place. And we're going to dig into that today, as well as the roles of womanhood and also what it means to be a man these days as well. And to discuss that with me today is president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise the Lord, man. Let's do it, brother. Yeah, no, I mean... Good to be here, man. It's a sad, sad time in which we live. It's disgusting, but... It is. It is a a grotesque thing. And if you're wondering what exactly I'm describing, it is actually a mixed martial arts event that just took place over the weekend. And at that event, somebody who goes by now, Elena McLaughlin, who formerly known as Ryan McLaughlin, a special forces. I mean, I'm not making this up. He's jacked up, too. Oh, dude, he's not a small guy by any means. And now on top of muscles and- taking all these different, you know, drugs and stuff to suppress it, you know, sadly enough, they allowed this. And this is not the first time. 2014, Fallen Fox was a transgender fighter who went out there and was breaking the eye sockets of women and so forth. A man claiming to be a woman. And this is something that obviously, I mean, just from the outset, I think... Anybody with, I mean, your conscience that you haven't seared as with a hot iron, anyone who's not simply just saying we're going to propagate and say whatever the culture says, looks at something like this and says, this is wrong. Yeah, since the uh, fall of humanity in the garden, when Satan sought to make Eve feel insufficient as a human being, as though she had to be God if she was to be happy, you know, which is Satan's lie to this day, right? The New Age movement, which is, you know, a huge lie among uh, Hollywood's celebrities and so forth. Biggest kind of growing religion among celebrities because you can have the idea that you're God. You could tap into the secret notes. It's like the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can deny God's word, half God said, and God, you know, God, you know, God, you know, basically knows you'll become as God. Basically, those same lies are are strong to this day. So you have women wanting to be God, and you have men wanting to be God, and you have women wanting to be men, and men wanting to be women. And then ever since the fall of humanity, there's been sexual confusion, sexual sin, uh, exploitation by men against women, treating them as mere objects or, or sex toys, and women seeking to be men as well. It's just unbiblical. It's, un, it's disgusting. God created us male and female in his image. And uh, since the fall, we have, uh, in fact, when you think about it, it's interesting because sometimes Christians are, you know, considered like unscientific because we believe in God and we believe in the Creator. But it's really interesting when you really take a look at the narrative that's going on. The, the Bible warns in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, 
about the opposing arguments of that which is falsely called science. Uh, the Greek word is gnosis, and it means knowledge, that, that word, right? The word science means knowledge. Science, when somebody uses the word science, sometimes it's used in such a way where, well, the science says, well, that means the knowledge says, well, let's see what the knowledge really is. Let's see what the, the science really is on any given subject. So it's kind of interesting when you look at uh, the claims of atheists, the claims of the far left, the claims of, uh, you know, uh, various groups regarding a lot of the major issues of the day. I mean, for years they were saying, well, yeah, it's probably better off that, you know, people don't marry and they just try each other out, you know. The 60s, the so-called free sex movement. Uh, the science showed, the real science showed it produced a bunch of diseases, you know, there was herpes and gonorrhea and syphilis. God's judgment. When they're, yeah, <laughs> they, right, AIDS, you know, and so forth with regard to homosexuality and just sexual promiscuity as well. Also, uh, it spread that uh, from, you know. So when you think about that, and then and then the studies had shown later that those people that were pushing the free sex movement, it was deleterious toward their own relationships with others and towards children. Uh, so destructive to, uh, if you can't help but have a one-parent household because the other person is abandoning you or bludgeoning you and so forth or whatever, uh, that's one thing. But people that choose, hey, you know what? I, I, I just don't, I'm just going to divorce my wife or divorce my husband with no biblical grounds and force a child in that situation the studies show that it's better to have two uh, parents. So when you look at the studies, when it goes on, to, when it, when you look at, for instance, abortion, oh well, it's 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 not a child. Well, the science says that it's biological life. Can't say it's not life, and it's growing. Life grows, right? And it, we know it's canine, canine. It's not feline. It's it's human life. So the science shows us it's human life. When you look at the theory of evolution, it's just absolutely bankrupt. Whether you're getting the cosmic evolution. Nothing doesn't create anything, but they have nothing creating everything, which is unscientific, breaks the law of cause and effect. Or when you look at just Darwinism, you know, and how we are as species becoming more and more advanced. And it's ridiculous because we can see into the genome. It's been opened up and it's obvious that there is information and that information is written and it's coded whereby what you look like, you know, color your eyes, the shape of your ears, shape of your nose, lips, everything else. It's all written in the book, you know, and it's interesting there's been no examples. I played, I don't know, 25 second or so clip of Dawkins being asked to give one example of just one addition to the genome of information. Because by the way, if you're going to evolve and get wings eventually, or if you're going to turn from slime to, you know, just an insect or an insect or a lizard to a bird, the information has to increase because you have to become something that you were not based on the information in past generations. And they've been able to find no examples in any species of, gener uh, of information being added because it's intelligent design that puts the information, God, by intelligent design that puts it there in the first place. So we see that uh, evolution is, is a bankrupt theory. So when you start looking at all these things together and you actually see that every generation, we don't get new information in the genome. There is a fallout of information. It's deleterious toward even the human species. There's every a loss of information. And we're not evolving, we're devolving. In fact, you might, you know, almost every mutation is negative. One that's positive would not be, there's no addition of information. It'd be a fallout of certain info. So maybe the moth's color changes because it no longer has that ability to be a certain color because it's lost information. Therefore, whatever birds are going after a certain color, they don't need that color. Well, that doesn't mean the species became better. It just means it's, 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 it's living longer and maybe has more offspring because of something negative that happened to it. It happened to be a blessing. So when you look at all these things and then you look at, you know, the, the chromosomes with, you know, the double X chromosome in the female and the XY chromosome in the male, 
That's science. And to say, well, you can just choose whether you want to be male or female, you are going against real, genuine, empirical science. And that's what the left is doing over and over again. But they say it so loud, they think, okay, everybody will just be convinced. We'll just brainwash people. And then they turn and say, oh, you guys. And I've used the example before. It's like the emperor with no clothes. These guys are stark naked, man. And we're like, hey, wait a minute. These are just a bunch of lies you guys are uh, uh, perpetuating. And what's sad is the fallout is the rotten fruit of this culture of death. And you have this guy wanting to present, you know, he probably gets ran whooped by the average, you know, cage fighter. So it's like, well, you know, hey, how can I be get a medal, you know, and feel good about myself, you know, and he goes and whoops on this girl. And I don't care what drugs he's taking or whatever. He still has a, a male uh, skeletal structure. Yep. He has uh, the advantage of being made with XY chromosomes physically, where a woman has advantages over a male in regard to what she's created to be as a woman. There's a blessing on both sides. When we seek to become something that we're not, we become monstrous. Yeah, and I think this is a perfect example of a number of things. Uh, first of all, you, you brought this out already, and you'll hear that that statement, right, from the left, from liberals, you know, trust the science. I trust in science. And the only question, I just asked two questions of them, when does life begin and how many genders are there? And then all of a sudden, the trusting in science yeah. goes out the window real quick. Exactly, bro. And, and you really say you don't trust in science, you trust in scientists that say the very thing that you want them to say. And that, that's, that's the reality of it. And then you think of, of this man who's dressing up as a woman. That's exactly what it is. doesn't matter how many drugs, doesn't matter what surgery you get, you're simply dressing up as a woman. And the fact is that Deuteronomy 22.5 is very, very clear. It is an abomination before God for a man to dress like a woman or a woman to be dressing like a man. And every culture, all time, forever, has always had male and female garments. That's a fact. That's a reality that we look at. And so when yeah, we see and that, that's scriptural. And, and it's scriptural. It's a distinction. And because of that distinction, we recognize that there's a reason it feels unnatural. These are, whether it's uh, homosexual relationships, whether it's dressing a woman as a man and so forth, these are unnatural affections that the Bible speaks about. And they're unnatural because they're against the creative order in which God has created them. And here is, herein lies the entire, a lot of the issue that we're going to be talking about today is the fact is your beliefs, your worldview has consequences. Absolutely. And so when you are saying a woman is, can be a man and a man can be a woman, not all women, uh, not all women have periods, right? <laughs> not a, all these things that they, they come up with, all these statements. The fact is, is that it ends with a woman being beat to a pulp and everyone trying to say, well, we think this is okay. We're not really sure. It ends with the fact that biblical womanhood, which is the true reality, because when we say something's of the Bible, we mean it's of the God that is objectively true. And so when we look at it and go against that standard, what we recognize is the darkness behind it. And what we see also is how bad things get, because if you're a feminist, which is usually who is behind LGBTQ double XYZ, right? Usually behind that movement are feminists a lot of times. But those same feminists that say, well, you know, the woman is only making 70 something, 77 cents or whatever it is to the man at his job, right? And so forth. The problem is when a man can be whatever he wants to be, when a woman can be whatever she wants to be, the fact is, is those things have ramifications, even when it comes to trying to figure out how you hoist up women into these roles and putting down men as you want to. No, absolutely. I have a few kids and, uh, couple daughters and a son and they're biologically chromosomes double x for the girls 
ex-wife or the male. We're not talking about, you know, a where there's the very rare case where you have a male and a female sex organ. I leave that between that person and God. Love that person. But when you're obviously biologically a male and biologically a female, and it's the same with my grandchildren, I've noticed that they, the gals from, I mean, just months old, gravitate toward wanting to hold a little baby doll. Wanting to, whether it's, you know, your daughters, you know, mm-hmm. Ariel or Galilee are far different, far different than Eli and Justice. I mean, it's like day and night from the earliest ages. And I just beheld this. I was like, there's no grooming going on that you have to, I mean, you're talking six months old, you know, and, you know, you've got the little boys, you know, just like, you know, the little girls doing something different. In fact, Hasbro, what they tried some time ago, uh, the toy company, they broke out a male-female toy house, you know, with dolls and characters and stuff. And they thought, wow, this is going to fly, you know, because we can get both groups with one toy. Isn't this a brilliant idea? Well, it didn't work out because the little girls were playing house and everything. And the boys were literally catapulting the baby characters off the roofs, you know. And they said, oh, this isn't really working out. And one Hasbro mirror, uh, uh, manager said, you know, he said, basically, you know, it looks like boys and girls are different. Yeah, well, we already know that, you know. Now, if my son came to my daughter and said, I'm having attraction toward the opposite sex or something like that, because, you know, I'm saying the opposite sex, I say, okay, praise God, just make sure they're a believer. You know? I didn't mean to say that, meant <laughs> yeah. the, the same sex. Then I'd say, well, then, you know, there's something, there's something going on because we have to realize that the Bible warns that we are fallen. Our natures are fallen. Somebody can come to me and say, I have a real propensity to want to steal. That's millions of people. That doesn't make it right. Or I have, you know what? I, I have a terrible time with road rage and anger, and I just want to pummel somebody and hit them and da-da-da. Well, that's just who you are. Just go ahead and grasp it. You wouldn't say that to him. You know, you wouldn't say, you know, you won't have big parades celebrating wanting to kill people or parades celebrating being drunks, you know, or, or, or heroin addicts. You, you say, that's wrong. So because we know it's contrary and it's destructive. Well, we know behaviors, there's temptation. There's also a spiritual war. So we are, we do have a fallen nature and we, and, and there's some mystery as to how that interplay takes place between the spiritual world and who we are. But Satan is, God is not the author of confusion. Satan's the author of the confusion. So if someone's confused regarding their sexual orientation, uh, the Bible very clearly in Romans chapter one talks about, you know, men with men and women with women and how they, they forsook that which was natural for that which was unnatural. And that's very important because a few verses later in Romans 1, Paul goes on to say, uh, you know, how these folks are who, and we're just not talking about homosexuality, we're talking about sexual sin in general, you know, uh, even heterosexual sin is, you know, it all, all, you know, separates you from God if you, if you walk in it and refuse to repent of it. But it talks about how uh, getting engaged in these sexual sins, it talks about how uh, they're without storge. We've talked about that before, that Greek word storge. Not the word phileo, not the word agapao, the verb and then the noun agape uh, for love. It's the rarely used word storge, which is the word for family love. And it uses that in regard to those who are pursuing, who, who have forsaken God, uh, who've basically held down, it says in the Greek, suppressed the knowledge of God through the creation that gives evidence of them all around, suppress that, profess themselves to become wise and become fools. Then they're given over, their foolish minds are darkened, they're given over to darkness and they go after, you know, the same sex. And it goes on to say they're without storge, natch, or family love. But that's heavy because in second, as it's getting worse right now, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
The last days, terrible times will come. Man, we leverage ourselves. It says a bunch of other things right there, but he says they'll be without storge, without family love. And that's where we're landing right now. That's We're in those times that the scriptures foretell. And this is even encroaching in a lot of professing Christian churches. And I say professing because you cannot be a true, genuine Christian church and speak that which is contrary to the scripture because it says they'll have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So this is, we're in a real battle and we need to hold tenaciously to the word of God and not go to the left or the right, walk the straight and narrow. Yeah, there'll be persecution that's coming. There'll be temptation either, even, oh man, this real close friend of mine or this family member has chosen this lifestyle or a son or a daughter or or a, a sister or brother. And all of a sudden, you're, you can tend to almost, you gotta be careful. Oh, you know what? Why don't I just accept it as normative and give into the lie? And as soon as you start giving into lies, guess what? Your whole life becomes a lie. We have to hold to the scripture in these end times, the Bible says, last days, mockers will arise, walking after their own lust, and where is the you know, you know, promise of his coming and what have you. And it, since the beginning of creation, these are creationists. That's kind of interesting when you think about it. They don't say, since the beginning of Darwinism you know, or the evolutionary process, this is going to happen with people that claim to be Christians who deny the second coming of Christ. In that context, Second Peter, deny the coming judgment and want to walk after their own lust, having a form of godliness, but denying the biblical pattern for family love. That's the day and age which we're in right now. And that's why we see something so sick and brutal as this. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're, you're bringing it out uh, so clearly for so many people to see. And this this idea of attacking the family, exactly how God designed it, as having a father and a mother and having children and so forth and having this family unit. And you think about it, obviously, Alester Crowley, right? He has it, his poem, Family, dot, dot, public enemy number Number one. one. When you thought of Black Lives Matter, what was the things that they had originally on their website? What was number one? They wanted to come against the nuclear family unit. That's with a a husband and a wife. A biblical husband and wife relationship, one that follows the parameters of Scripture, that brings forth life. And sadly, um, as the movement was just as much pro-homosexual as anything else, and that was a lot of the stuff they were pushing because— Many of those involved in the very foundation of it were, in fact, homosexual. And when you look at it and you see it over and over again, you just see Satan's tentacles attacking the family unit. And you think about it for husbands, right? How does Satan attack a lot of times? Looking at a woman that is not their their wife, right? Um, You know, for, for wives, same thing. Out of the household, working with, uh, working with men, and now they're away from, you know, not that it's a sin to work outside of the household. It's not. But what I'm saying is a lot of times Satan has done a great job of getting the the wives away from their children, not there watching them, as the Bible does say, that they're saved by their childbearing. And I do believe and hold the conviction that a lot of that has to do that they're chasing their children and not some other guy. Yeah, we'll explore the text on that. And Oh, good. I didn't know we were going to explore that. But just on my heart, this is my this is the reality of it, because plenty of you guys and plenty of you girls are working in a field where you are around and spend 40 plus hours a week with someone who is not your husband or not your wife and it can be dangerous if you don't make the right if you don't make the right safeguards and I do believe that Satan attacks the family unit for men pornography he comes after Absolutely. your soul and he wants to get your soul he wants your children addicted to it he wants you addicted to it he wants your wife to then resent you I mean it's how he gets in and we really need to start this off with a biblical sexual ethic that always comes back to the scripture, whether it's how we dress, how we walk, how we talk, whatever it is, it always has to come back to the scripture so that 
I, guys, you look at what can happen to the depraved mind when it's just given over. Yeah, there, there are some tremendous lies throughout history, you know, uh, things that are just commonly believed and, you know, stuff that's not consequential unless you're the person being lied about, maybe. Uh, Einstein, this one's still a big humdinger out there, and that is that Einstein, you know, he failed math, some say four times, you know, and that was news to Einstein. He read it in a story, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was a made-up lie. And he said, you know, uh, I never failed math. I mastered integral and differential calculus before I was 15 years old, you know? <laughs> didn't matter what he said, though, because, you know, the lie, man, it's like, you know, that you empty a, a pillowcase of feathers on a windy day, and then you try to go gather those feathers up. It's not going to happen. So you still hear that, you know? You still hear that about Einstein. And the irony to me of that lie is that this was a guy who was, for whatever you think of him, you know, he had some interesting... <laughs> He did admit that he, his biggest blunder was thinking that the universe steady always state, existed, yeah. the steady state theory, you know, and realized there's a there's a creator, there's a beginning, and so forth. Uh, but he had some other weird stuff going on. But it's really interesting because it's like that's such a strange lie. Well, another lie that just makes that thing look like nothing is that God doesn't like women, or you know, God denigrates women, or you know, the Bible denigrates women, mm -hmm. and, and 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 Christianity is anti-woman. That's a way, that's a huge lie because God made men and women, chapter one, verse 27, he made them in male and female in his image. Now, by the way, it shouldn't be like, well, what is God? God made women in his image and men in his image. And we should not be saying, well, I want to be this. No, who are we, man? He could have made us a cockroach. We should be thankful as men and women that are not made in the cockroaches, but are made in the image of God. And, and Chad, you hit the nail on the head. We, we want to focus on, when you look at male and female from a biblical perspective, and you look at God's perspective and who we are, to be made male and female, it's like, you know, the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 8, you know, you know, what is man that you consider him? When you consider the sun and the moon and the stars, he goes, you know, what are we that, you know, he considers us, he cares about us. We should be so thankful and so privileged. But Satan in the Garden of Eden, the carrot, you know, you shall be as God. You know, God's holding out on you. That's what I see happening right now. Guys, you really should be want to be a woman. You're not complete unless you're really, you should really be female. Females, you really ought to be men, you know, because most people are smart enough to realize it's, it's idiotic to say that I'm going to become the creator. You're not the creator. You're not God. But some fall for that as well. But it's an easier step to say, hey, maybe you're a different sex. And, and you know what? God made a mistake. Uh, so it's kind of interesting when you look at this bigger picture thing, as far as misunderstandings go. Uh I love the picture of, because when we understand and wrap our brains around male and female, and we really look at the biblical picture, we realize that Satan is the one that denigrates womanhood. And the left is denigrating what it really means to be a woman and what it be, means to be a man. Because for them, we're just the result of, you know, a cosmic accident and, you know, uh, evolution. And we shouldn't even be here. It's just a big accident. So it's ridiculous. They devalue life. They devalue uh, who we are. When you look at what the Lord's doing, and you look at male and female, the, the husband and wife relationship, that's a picture of Christ, God the creator, and his love for his people in that relationship, and, and, that, and that fatherhood and motherhood relationship with children. These are all metaphors showing a deep, profound, beautiful spirituality that has to do with our eternal future. And the Bible calls it, Paul calls it the mega boosterion. And Satan hates the idea that we could be redeemed. He hates the fact that Jesus, that God became a man and died for us. Because keep in mind, when Satan fell, uh, Jesus said hell, hell was created for the devil and his angels. And he wasn't squished yet because he wants to bring as many people with him as possible. 
And God's allowing this cosmic sting operation to take place to where the rebellion is manifest among us because he's going to separate separate the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares. Who really loves me? I'm, God's going to let you make a choice. And he could have just wiped out Satan, but speeds up the process. It lets everybody, lets God, God says, hey, this is an open forum. Everybody's going to show who where their colors are, who's going to be loyal, who's going to seek God. And we all deserve to be damned, but God's going to say, I'm going to show my grace through the gospel. And you know what? I've got this cosmic plan that I, before I even created man, this was my plan. I knew they'd fall, but I was going to send my son to redeem them through his blood. And he was going to have, a, he's going to have a bride. And that bride is going to become one body with him for all of eternity. So Satan hates that. So he hates the idea of Christ, who is the picture, he's Lord, Savior, the masculine picture. And then the bride, we are the bride of Christ. The bride, the, the woman is a, the bride in a, if you go to a wedding, well, guess what? We're male. We see the female getting married. But when it comes to the metaphor, we're all depicted by the bride because Christ is in, in that relationship. And it's a metaphor. We're not effeminate, but we're part of the body of Christ. Male and female would become part of the body. So when you look at it, it gets really, really heavy. To me, it's really it's really profound because, and I know you as well, Chad. I know a lot of our audience gets this. But when you think of the male and female thing, it's just like so beautiful and I understand why Satan hates it. He's a father of lies. He's a murderer from the beginning. And the left doesn't realize that they're being energized by the satanic, demonic world for the most part. Many of them, some of them do, obviously, that are in the occult. And many that are in high places are, you know. Harry Hay was a member of the Crowley's organization, the Order of Templi Orientis. And he was the father of the modern gay liberation movement. Marched in the gay crowds when he was the oldest hippie because he was hanging out with all the little guys. And he was taking these young people in the 60s discipling them into Satanism, into Crowleyism. He was head of the gate. Watch our video, our 10-hour version on it. They sold their souls for rock and roll. You'll be blown away. We have a huge section on that. This is a satanic movement, like you said earlier. Crowley's Nambla whole deal. walks with me. Right? Nambla, yeah, he had a big placard. Nambla yeah. walks with me. Na- Nambla, if you don't know, is National Man-Boy Love North Association. American, yeah. yeah, yeah. Na- I'm sorry, North American Love Boy Association. And he was a pedophile. And Crowley was a pedophile. We have evidence of that. Now, think of this. Well, the bigger picture is this. God creates male and female because he wants to show that the male and the female, first of all, you have that relationship. The man, the father, is a beautiful picture of God our Father. And if you lose these metaphors that God creates in reality, you lose an understanding of what God's plan is. So these metaphors that God, these living pictures that he's created are love for our children, you know? And... You know, Jesus said when we pray, pray our Father who art in heaven. What does it mean to be a father? Well, we know experientially. We see godly men, you know, and unfortunately there's bad men that aren't good pictures of the Father, but even the bad guys, man. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses, another verse I mentioned is Matthew 6, 9, about our Father, we mentioned, he says our Father. But in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, you know, he says, who, you know, you guys, he gives your children, some of his disciples were married. If they ask you for bread, you know, you don't give them a rock or a stone. If they ask you for a fish, you don't give them a snake. He says, and you being evil, you get you disciples, you're fallen, you're man, you're evil. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father in heaven give to you when you ask? And another place says, give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. In other words, when you look at an earthly father, even a guy who's not the best father, but he cares for his kids, you know, he's not perfect, but he's loving his kids. That's a picture, a dim picture of the much greater Father in heaven. Same thing with regard to the husband and wife relationship. Uh, that's the picture, as I mentioned, and we mentioned earlier, of Christ and the church. And it is profound indeed because 
I mean, when I look at the Bible, I'm like, man, you know what? God elevates women perfectly, the most beautifully you could. You don't elevate a woman and make her God of creation. That's a lie. That's not elevating a woman. That's giving her a lie. But if you say, wow, you're made in the image of God, the man's made in the image of God, you're both human, you both share humanity. One of you is not more human than others. As we're, you know, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. We have different roles. It's wrong for a man to want to be a woman and have babies. It's wrong for a woman to want to uh, be a pastor, for instance. That's unbiblical. These are both unbiblical uh, retardations that aren't to be uh, taking place in, 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 the, in, the, in the community of God. So it's, it's interesting, though, when you look at this, because husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So uh, sometimes women will, oh, look, at Satan's like, you know, because you can't eat from the tree. Well, now it's like, oh, you have to submit to your husband. I want to ask you a question, man. Is is it harder? I don't know, man. When I look at my job, husbands love your lives as wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. That means sacrifice yourself, Joe, daily. That means, uh, look what how Jesus treated the apostles, man. He was patient with them, even when they were unruly. He he prayed for them constantly. He constantly washed them in the word. He went to the cross and was slaughtered for them. And yeah, men abuse that verse. Husbands, of course. You know, yeah. when it says submit to your husbands. Men twisted and, and abused that verse and use it wickedly. But guess what? You can, what if it said the opposite? What if it said, wives, you know, love your husbands as Christ loved the church and lay your lives down for them? Don't tell me that can't be twisted by men. Honey, that means you need to suffer for me daily. You need to suffer. You need to get bloodied for me. You know, that can be twisted even more. So it's not about what the Bible says or it's about how it's twisted. But when you look at a godly relationship, the church submits to Christ as his leader as our leader, right? Uh, the, the wife submits to the leading of the husband, unless the scriptures say he speaks that which is contrary to the will of God and says, let's do evil. Obviously, all it, you know, she's not doing that. Better obey God than men. So when you look at these relationships, and, and we did a four-part series. We just did a four-part series on Christ and his bride yeah. in the book Revelation. At Blessed Hope Chapel. At Blessed Hope Chapel. We encourage you guys to check that out. We'll We're put in a link in the description. So yeah, it's a four-part it. series where we show that Christ and the bride, it's what Paul calls... Husbands, lay your lives down for as you know for your wives as Christ did the church. He says he calls us the mega musterion. He says the the woman leaves her parents and a man leaves parents, cleaves to his wife, the two become one flesh. But then Paul says, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ in the church. So even the intimacy here's where the metaphor just really gets radical. The intimacy between a husband and wife relationship, the two becoming one, is a picture of the body of Christ, male and female, us becoming one with Christ spiritually, becoming the body of Christ, which it tells us, what, when you look at male and female roles, it tells us that while God wants us to understand that he's a father, through that metaphor, and the parental merit metaphor is also so maternal, it's not just, you know, fathers, children, it's also, you know, as a woman bobs you on her knee, God talks about his love for his people, uh, when he says a, a a mother might reject the child at her breast, but I won't reject, I won't forsake you. He uses maternal pictures because we're all creating the God, image of God, and we all show it's beautiful. However, that 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 is sometimes shown both ways. One thing that's never shown both ways is the husband and wife picture of Christ. Christ never becomes the bride, you know. Yeah. So because these pictures, so so Christ pays the dowry. You go back to the first century. God is showing us through the wedding relationship His cosmic plan, this divine romance where God himself, I mean, pays the dowry. His son's blood on the cross is the dowry. Uh, he goes to prepare a place. He's going to build a wing on his father's house. Just as in those days, they would build a wing on the Trouble, father's house. Yeah. 
And now Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's all a picture of the eternal plan. Satan hates it with a passion. Uh, those who are energized by the spirit of this world, the prince and power of the air, who guides the world through the children's disobedience, are being activated in the media, in places of influence, to lead people away from the true God. Yeah, and, and you know, you touched on this in the very beginning, uh, specifically about Satan going after Eve. And think about what we're talking about right now, and think about how he went after Eve and how he deceived her. Because First Timothy two actually mentions specifically that that Eve was deceived by him. And how did he deceive her? He got her to question some things about God. Right? Hath God said? So ultimately, not only is she questioning, she has to question God's word. So that's questioning God's word. She also has to question his character because now she's questioning whether or not what God said was true. God cannot lie. He is not like a man. And once you've questioned God's word, once you've questioned God's character, then he can feed the lie that you can be as God. And what, I mean, you talk about the modern day feminist movement. Those are the three lies that you are seeing over and over and over again. And I believe this is, I believe this is exactly the lie that is told for someone who reads 1 Timothy 2. And you already mentioned this, that God has different roles in her body, that God has roles for men and women and for different types of men and different types of women for their abilities to complement one each one another so that the body of Christ would be built up properly in an order that God has designed it. And once you get women questioning God's word, and his character, what'd you say? Oh, maybe he's misogynistic, right? That's a lie that's all over the internet. Go on TikTok or Twitter or whatever, and you're going to see. by Dawkins. Yeah. Don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't. throw up. But you go on any of these things, and it's questioning God's word. It's questioning God's character. And then it's telling you, really, what you don't really secretly know is that you're a goddess. Absolutely. And that comes back to Sophia. Gnosticism. I was studying the feminist movement years and years ago, and and I couldn't believe how many times I saw them referring to the serpent, you know, and how the serpent was the good guy back to uh, Gnosticism. But you don't really have a reference to what reality is supposed to be, who we're supposed to be, uh, what our identity is. And Chad, when you go back to Genesis, there's a, there's, a, you know, delusions of grandeur, you know, it's like, look at what we can become. And, but when I look at the roles that God's given us, I'm like, wow, it doesn't just show me he's a father. It shows me, wow, I'm a child. I need to be make. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew eighteen verse three that you must become like a little child if you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven to his disciples. So it shows me, man, I got to be a child. And by the way, that that biblical language is so rich because in the first century, if you don't understand the culture in the you know the Roman Greco culture and, the, and Judaism within it, is to be a child in that culture was basically to have no rights. It was basically to be powerless. And you're basically telling the disciples, unless you surrender to me, you can't enter my kingdom. Because the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of heaven if there's a bunch of anarchy. You know, <laughs> we have right. to be submitted to the Father. So God calls us all to submit, but also shows that beauty as well. I'm a child who's taken care of by my Father in heaven. He loves me. And as Jesus said, he's greater than all. No one can snatch us out of his hands. That's for those who are in the faith, right? And it also shows me how much he cares about us. Psalm 103, you know, my wife, I, I sometimes I tell the story because it just, had such a beautiful imprint on my heart because as I saw her growing in the Lord and so forth, and I walked in uh, on her one time and she's in the Word and she's tears going on her. And they were like tears of just precious tears of rich love and joy for the Lord. And, and I go, what are you reading? And she's like, Psalm 103. I just love it. It says that 
he understands that our frames are weak and that we're, we're made of dust, you know? And I thought, yeah, that is such a powerful verse. And it's not just women that are weak, they're frames and made of dust. Compared to God, all of us are, amen? And I thought, I thought of, you know, 1 Peter 3, my instructions on how to love my wife. Amen. Dwell with her in an understanding way as the weaker vessel. Now, why did God make them as a weaker vessel? Did he say as the less equal vessel? No, weaker vessel. And I use the illustration that, that men are like denim and women are like silk. It's not that denim is more important than silk. In fact, silk's actually more expensive. Uh, or that a, a man's like a root beer mug, you know, and a woman is a uh, like a champagne glass, for instance, exquisite, beautiful, delicate, you know. And I can have a root beer mug and I can drop it over, knock it over and be sloppy Joe, you know, and it'll be probably fine, be a little tiny chip. Why not, you know, and why does God do that? Because the beauty of the bride is in her delicacy, in her femininity. There's an incredibly striking beauty that you lose when you try to turn that into a masculine, rugged man and, and pump up with, you know, a lot of drugs. to turn. That's, you're losing the very beauty. The beauty that she she emanates as a woman who fears and loves God, First Peter chapter 3, as a picture of the bride of Christ. Because we, all of us who are the bride of Christ, metaphorically speaking, I mean, it's a greater reality than the male and female relationship because that's eternal ultimately, amen? And the heavy thing about this male and female relationship of a husband and wife, if you're like not married, you say, man, I haven't really experienced that. Hey, guess what, you know? Uh, you're gonna experience something far, but you're gonna experience what that points to if you've embraced Christ, which is eternal. This is just temporary. You know, uh, it's been the, the uh, expression has been used of, you know, uh, it's like playing with dolls and saying, why, well, you know, uh, or, you know, playing, playing marriage versus being truly with God forever, which is greater. So it's like you might miss out on playing with dolls, but you get to be with the Lord forever. That blows playing with dolls away. And I'm not denigrating marriage because it's a great picture, but by way of comparison, what it points to is far more profound. So each and every Christian should have great excitement and regarding the richness of these metaphors. But Chad, I want to uh, go with you a bit and pick up on that in Genesis because when you do see the fall right there, uh, there's this curse upon Satan, you know, in chapter 3, verse 15, to see the, you know, the, the woman and the, and, the, and the serpent and there's friction between them and the seed of the serpent will bruise the, the heel of the seed of the woman and the seed of the woman uh, who come through the woman, the Messiah, will crush the head of the serpent it's kind of interesting because the woman is given that special promise there. But also in the very next verse, that's where it talks about, and it's done in the context of a curse. The desire, the woman's desire, it says in verse 16, will be for the man, and the, man's will rule, the man will rule over the woman. And now what's fascinating about this whole thing is when you look at that, that defines the battle of the sexes because of the fall ever since. So you have this serpent who's, kind of kicked all this thing in. God's countered it with the Proto-Evangelium, which is 315, the seed of the uh, woman's going to crush his head. But verse 16, you have, you have basically a battle where she's going to desire the man, but he's going to rule over her. That's not, oh, somebody, oh, wow, that's beautiful. No, that's a curse when you read it, the context. And that word desire there is only used one other time in all of the first five books, Torah, written by Moses. And it happens to be just a few verses later. In the next chapter, in fact, let me read it. It says in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Because Cain is just so angry that God's accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not his. And then he says in verse 7, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? 
Brothers and sisters, we do much better when we're obedient to God. And he goes, and if you do not, and he goes, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And the Hebrew is a picture like a lion crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. It's desire is for you. That the same Hebrew construction, desire for you. Is it so when it says Eve's desire will be for husband, it doesn't mean, oh, she'll just want to be with him romantically. <laughs> yeah. Not in the context of a few verses later and how it's used in the Torah here. It's a desire to rule over him. Yet it goes on to say, it to, to Cain, God says, but you must master it. Just like it says, but Adam will rule over her because he's made in the masculine gender. And she's going to desire, she already desired to be God. And then he ate too, he fell. Now she's got this fallen nature where, and when she's in the flesh, it's not like all women are doomed to this. All women and men are doomed to this curse because guess what? He's going to master her. That's going to be in the context of fallen state too. That's going to be through sexual exploitation. That's going to be through making women boy toys. That's going to be through men saying, yeah, abortion's a good thing because they want to play with women and get them pregnant. And then they want to say, okay, I don't want responsibility for that baby. Men are behind abortion more than women are historically as far as pulling the, pulling the big levers, you know, Supreme Court, what have you. Yeah, and, and dads too that come alongside and say, this is a shameful practice. I want to yeah, get rid of Yeah, I don't want to hurt baby. my reputation. Yep. So it murders the baby. That's got to be repetitive. Any murders that have taken place, need to be repentant of, and you'll be cleansed. If you turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, uh, and the healing is there, if you just cry out to him, you need to be healed. We need to face the reality that's here. So we get this, and I see this, when I look at this verse, sometimes I think of the show, I Love Lucy, because I see her desires to totally rule over Ricky. Then I see him get hot, lose his temper, and seek to rule over her. And then you see that played out in the politics and everything else, and, and everything's just this one big distortion to where now we've reached a point where Guys are confused, think they're women, and women are confused, they think that they're men. But let's go to that text, Chad, and maybe you could read that in 1 Timothy, or I could read it. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter, uh, let me go ahead and read it in chapter 2. Paul says in verse 12, and he's talking about how things are to be in the churches. That's what he says in 3.15, by the way. He says very clearly, but in case I'm delayed, he writes to Timothy, I write to you that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So how does he say it's supposed to happen? Uh, but do not allow, verse 12 of chapter 2, a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. So even the God's order of creation established male leadership, okay? Uh, now, some would say, oh, but I want to be a leader, just like some men want to say, oh, I want to have a baby. No, those are both huge aberrations, men having babies and women being leaders in the church. Jesus did pick nine male apostles and three female apostles, okay? They also didn't pick men to have babies and have the, the most, to me, that the most wonderful privilege that, I mean, I'm like, wow, what a privilege. They're bringing life into the world. <laughs> it's through women that the Messiah comes, that crushes the head of the serpent. It's through women that there's this incredibly deep, beautiful, powerful, profound relationship with children that, and a man, you know, I have great relationships with my kids, very deep and beautiful, and my grandchildren, I love it. But I see my wife with them, and there's a different thing going on there. So there's a sweetness, there's, and, you know, and I'm not saying it's not equal, it's just, it's just different. And there's a beauty to it, and I'm glad the Lord's made it that way, you know. Uh, she'll, you know, I'm very merciful, but she'll be merciful sometimes to a fault. I'll be a little, you know, me and her, and, you know, and, and you know how it could be with just, you're married, you know? Not that it always goes this way because we don't want to generalize 
too much. But yeah, guess what? A lot of times it does go that way where the, sometimes the husband that's godly and he's seeking the Lord will seek to be, this has got to be made right though, where the woman will bring the mercy in and you can balance each other out. Of course, us men want to be merciful. We also realize that if you just shower mercy, but there's no consequences, you're going to ruin the kid as the Bible says very clearly. However, if you just discipline, you don't show love and constantly pray with them. And I certainly did that. My daughter, Heather, my youngest daughter tells me this day, you know, she's in her, you know, just over her mid-20s now. And she's like, Dad, you used to hang out with me for like an hour, just making sure two hours, late we in the morning. And one time I just went with it, even though I disagreed. And that kid really did that because you were you just weren't leaving until I was right, you know. And uh, so we want to all have compassion and everything. But we want to recognize that we've called the different roles. So look what he says here. Uh, and he's talking about it. He doesn't uh, allow the woman to teach and exercise authority over the man. This is in the context of him going onward a little bit later. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, any man is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and so forth. So he's establishing male leadership in the church. And I was talking to a brother who, uh, from Washington, we have a couple uh, satellite churches there or live stream groups there forming and his is growing and it's just beautiful what's happening and he says man joe i just i tried i said we encourage people if they can you know find fellowships near them and but we know that sometimes you can't you know so uh we realize that church has to be done a little bit differently here if you can't find any fellowship and we're happy to assist you and great brother and uh he says you know i looked looked and looked they finally found another church i thought maybe this is the one you know and he said and i went and i, I looked into him and right away it was pastor so-and-so and his wife pastor uh, her name yeah. it was like mm, it was over i knew that wasn't scriptural and what happens is when christians give into that he could have just said you know what it's hard to find a church i'm just going to go for it and i'm just gonna have a female pastor too and guess what that's like saying i want to go in there and i understand the men are having operations where they're trying to have babies but hey you know what it's kind of hard to find a church no this is a huge aberration before the lord and the remnant of god needs to hold fast but he goes on to say in verse 13 for the man who was it was it was the man who was first created and then Eve, okay? God's showing a as far as order, okay? That's really clear. It's not, so some say, oh no, this is just a cultural thing. Come on, guys, read verse 13. That's yep. not cultural. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And oftentimes women end up, when you look at the New Age movement, when you look at fortune tellers and psychics, they can gravitate because oftentimes they seek to be spiritual, but they can miss the boat. And and men miss the boat by not being the leaders they ought to be. Yeah, I think and that's it's really the man's thing. fault ultimately yeah. because and women have to bear the brunt too of the wrong decisions. Then in verse 14, he says, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in transgression. But the woman will be saved, and the NASB has preserved. The Greek word sozo, though, will be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Brothers and sisters, that verse right there is so key. And I, we can spend 20 minutes on it, but we're not going to. I'm going to try to do it in just two minutes. Chad had already mentioned it, but they're saved through childbearing. And Chad mentioned, you know, you'd mentioned how if women are taking care of their children and bringing them up in the Lord the way they ought to be, guess what? It's a lot harder to have dialogue with the devil. If Eve is chasing Cain and Abel and whoever else around, She's not sitting at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and, you know, chatting with, chatting up with the devil. And when he says saved through childbearing, uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of, I've seen so many, and I never sat, I was Christian for years. I never was comfortable with what the commentaries typically say on this. And there's people that believe uh, 
I, when I was in Ireland, I met, there's Moroccans there, and they believe that you literally have to have babies or you won't be saved. That's obviously not what it teaches. It talks about being a single brother or a single sister is actually better than being married if yeah. you have that gift, yeah. First Corinthians 7. So it can't be saying that. We know it's not saving that. Others teach, well, they'll have dignity. John MacArthur, others, uh, they'll have this special dignity by fulfilling their role. That's what it means. No, that's not what it means. It means something heavier than that. Well, it means that when they have a baby, they won't die if they're, uh, you know, continuing in, in uh, the faith, love, sanctity, and self-restraint. No, that's not what it means because all kinds of wicked people live through childbirth. And yeah. probably very a lot of godly people die, don't doubt it, in childbirth. What's he saying there? It occurred to me one time when I realized in Timothy later, and I was looking at another part of Timothy, not this, childbearing. It's a compound word in the Greek, childbearing, to bear children. It's all one word. It's only used one other time in all the Bible, in the New Testament, and Septuagint, I believe, definitely in the New Testament Greek. And that is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you go to verse 11, and listen to what he says. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. And this was a church welfare list. If someone was made a widow and they're over 60, they couldn't take care of themselves, they couldn't get a job. They're, 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 they're you know, being over 60, that's really old back then. Uh, but we're not talking about the things of Methuselah. We're not talking now with modern health. Uh, we're talking about a woman being like the widow of Nain, you know, in dire straits. And she was a lot younger if you didn't have a husband and you were made a widow, uh, you were put on a, the welfare list of the church if you're over 60. But you had to do all these wonderful things. You had to wash the feet of the saints and do all these other things because you couldn't just line up at the church and say, I want money. You have to have this, this reputation of, yeah, you're for real. You've been here for some time. You're truly following the Lord. We'll put you on this welfare list. But if you're under 60, they weren't supposed to be put on this welfare list because they had energy still, typically. He says, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. So they've been on that list for some time six, seven, eight, ten years or whatever. They say, oh, I want to get married. I'm going to marry Frank now. They just used up all the church's money and they're younger than 60. And he says, mm, then they want to get married. He says, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous faith or pledge. Then he says this, at the same time, they also learn to be idle. So they've got this money coming in without any work. And they go around from house to house because they still have energy and they should be working. And, and uh, not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention, just like Eve to Satan, hanging out with and saying the wrong things, right? Verse 14, therefore I want younger widows, the one under 60, to get married, to bear children, same Greek word, compound, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion. It's talking about how Satan deceived Eve, the context earlier on. And now don't give the enemy any occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. That is so heavy. And when I first, that first clicked with me, I wrote like 10, 12 pages. I mean, I was like, whoa. I just got on my keyboards at least maybe 15, praying. I'm like, Lord, you're just showing me right here what's going on in the world right now with the whole, you know, just the whole, you know, radical feminist group. You yeah, know? and then you put it together there with First Timothy 2. Yeah. Speaking specifically back in order of not only creation, but also her being deceived. Yeah, going back to Genesis. Yeah. Absolutely, Chad. Yeah, that that's really what's does, going on there. That really does bring it all together back to everything we've been talking about. And that's about. where we're at today. Women are being taught that you can become gods right now. I mean, there's a book I was just reviewing. I was I read a review. I just looked at it. 2,000 comments almost. And it's about the I am something or whatever. It's a new age. I was looking at it. I was like, wow, this book is written by a gal that's claiming to channel the great I am. And the introduction is how you could become God. It's the same old lies over and over again. It's a lot like Abraham Hicks, that whole thing with the secret or God and these revelations, 
you, when you think about it right now in the in the culture and day and age that we are you know women are supposed to now go to college and go to the workforce and and first you have to establish your career before you can have a family and that's really been a, such a a lie and sadly it's been absorbed into the church that this is supposed to be normative make sure you have all your ducks in a row and then you're allowed to have children where that's not biblical the biblical yeah. parameters you know. we're not we're not saying women yeah. can't do things outside the home of course what not. have you i mean no. genesis i mean you have the personification of wit of wisdom in proverbs chapter 31 where the woman you know she buys a piece of land and she sells it so we're not the we're not the folks saying you know what you, you know yeah women have to can't work you know, yeah you know they can't work and, and things of that nature but what we are saying is that first and foremost men you know because the, everything about that in genesis 2 when you read that or 3 as you see, you know, Eve being deceived by Satan, and you ask the question, it begs the question, where's the man? Where's he at this time? And you find out, wow, he's there the whole time. She gave, says, then she gave to her husband who was with her. So where was Adam fulfilling his role as leader there, you know? And so I want to, you know, I think we he should says end. He not even, he wasn't even deceived. Yeah, he did with his wise, eyes wide open. I believe that's because he didn't want to lose his wife. And then he just did it as well. And again, I believe that was a picture, a typology. And we will, for those listening who heard us say that we're going to get back into typology, we're getting close to getting done with Marvel. I mean, really close. I mean, we just did our shoot, our camera shoot Friday. And we we just had a you know, professional camera guy, set designer, all that stuff in there with all of our guys who are amazing. And uh, it just worked out really great. So uh, that was our big shoot. And now we just got to finish a couple. We just have two more main voiceovers. And then uh, put it together, like Jigsaw Puzzle, which we've got it pretty cohesive right now. And so pray for that. I Please pray that the Lord will help us get it done. Uh, we want to try to have it done really soon. But uh, And then we'll start doing some typologies again. Uh, but by the way, there's that great typology of Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. And the first Adam went to the tree because he wanted to get his stay with his wife. Even though he knew what he was doing, the second Adam, Jesus, went to the tree of Calvary not in disobedience to the Father like Adam, but in obedience to the Father to get his bride, which is the church. And through uh, the, the line of Eve, eventually, and through the line of you know Sarah and so forth, and, and, and through the line, then through the Virgin Mary comes the Messiah who crushes the head of the serpent. Thank you, sisters. You have the most amazing privilege bringing life into the world. What a joy that is. But also just in who you are, whether you're married or not, what a beautiful picture you are of God's eternal plan of his grace on the bride of Christ. Yeah, and you know, one of the great things too is whether we're doing it Typology Tuesday or otherwise, the fact is, is that because of the way the Lord did it on the road of Emmaus, right? Um, the fact is, is that he gave the the trifold structure of the Old Covenant, right? Where he looked at the law, the prophets, and the writings, and he basically said he was in it all, yeah. you know, and he took them through and their hearts burned. And, yeah. and so you guys are always going to get Typology Tuesday from us, yeah. whether it's <laughs> Tuesday, hey, Thursday, or, other, messages are often. or otherwise. And you got the Proto-Evangelium already, which is a typology as well. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, you're going back all the way to Adam. And the, these things are beautiful. And this is one of the reasons we don't want, whether you're male or female, we don't want you to get to a place where you would disregard and take Satan's hints and lies of not trusting what the scriptures clearly say because the fact is is that when we are told in God's word what the enemy has done and what he will do, we need to pay attention. I like to use the analogy years ago, and I guess we're in football season, so this makes sense. Years ago, John Gruden was the coach of the Raiders. Now he's back again. 
He was the coach of the Raiders, and he brought his team all the way to the AFC Championship, built this really, really good team. But then he's like, wait a second, there's a better team over there on the West, on the East Coast in Florida. I'm going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the team was so good that even with the backup coach, they both ended up in the Super Bowl together. And here's the thing. Going up into the Super Bowl, the Raiders had not changed their game plan. They hadn't changed their playbook, and John Gruden knew it all. And so what he did is he went to his team, played as who was Rich Gannon at the time, and was literally back there showing him this is what he does, this is where he checks down, this is where he throws, and it was one of the most lopsided Super Bowls in memory. And the fact is, it was because they knew what their opponent was going to do before they did it, and it was unfair. The fact is that God's word quite clearly has told us the enemy's plan, and what's even better is he's the one who goes out before us. And, yeah, and you know who the other coach was that built that Tampa Bay team all those years ago, right? Yeah, Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, <laughs> a professing believer, sweetheart, man. And uh, he basically, Chucky took what he built, he took the cake, and then Gruden kind of just put it in the oven. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, but guys, we're so excited about this. And, and thank you guys for joining us. And hopefully, you know, this will be a blessing to you Amen. guys in uh, love you growing guys. biblical so, men and women. Yeah, and we're very, very, very thankful for all you guys' help. Uh, all you guys that are praying for us and all you Patreons that are supporting the work that Lord's doing. We're very, very grateful because uh, we couldn't do it without being a team. And that's kind of what this message is on, on. Brothers, appreciate the women in your lives. Those who know Jesus, encourage them and pray for them. Those who don't know Jesus, be an example and love them and treat them with honor and respect. And and, and sisters, uh, respect the men that are in your lives and, and love and, and encourage them as well. Uh, and of course, uh, whatever the scripture says, whatever it states, let's stand on it because every all the other ground around the rock of God's word, the rock of Christ is shifting sand and you're going down if you're on that, on that sand, man. Stay with Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.